cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi everyone, my name is Reese Garcia. I am the Research Advocacy Manager with Fight Colorectal Cancer. For this episode of the podcast, we had the opportunity to discuss the flu season, COVID-19, and cancer care with Dr. Scott Kopetz, a professor in the Department of GI Medical Oncology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. One of the questions um, that we've been hearing a lot from our community is, is pretty simple is, should everyone be getting a flu shot? Are there certain populations that shouldn't receive a shot? What is your recommendation for the cancer community as it relates to the flu shot? Yeah, I think the flu shot is uh, is an important part of maintaining the uh, kind of the lines of defense, both against COVID as well as just other uh, infections uh, that can impact your uh, your ability to receive chemotherapy and uh, and have optimal health. So we are recommending flu shots uh, for patients. There are you know very limited uh, situations uh, related to um, uh, you know specific um, comorbidities that patients may have, but uh, but 99% of our uh, patients were recommending uh, to get a flu shot. So I would. You know, encourage everyone talk to their oncologists if they're uncertain. But uh, really, the default is that that a flu shot should be part of what uh, um, what we're doing, especially this fall, uh, to try to uh, prevent any complications. That's great, and I also need to get my flu shot. So thank you for for that <laughs> reminder. Um, can you get COVID nineteen at the flu in the flu at the same time? And if that's the case, what do you um, recommend that patients do? Yeah, so part of the reason that the, you're hearing so much about the push uh, for the flu uh, shot is uh, that, you know, the distinguishing the flu and COVID can sometimes uh, be difficult. Obviously, the test can, can help distinguish that. Um, and we also know that this uh, can be a, if there's a bad flu season uh, and a, a COVID uh, high COVID numbers in the community that can really put a strain on the healthcare system, meaning there may not be the, the beds or uh, you know, the supplies available uh, to, to treat patients. So there's a good reason on a kind of a healthcare system to, to make sure we're doing all that we can. I think, as you mentioned, there is always a concern that, um, that patients can get more than one infection at a time. And while this probably, um, probably is not uh, hor horribly common, it is something we really think that that could exacerbate uh, the um, outcomes from either one alone. And so not a whole lot known about this, but at least the concern that this could be a real, uh, you know, a real detriment to uh, patients' health if they do end up with, uh, with both infections. Great. And if a patient does think they may have contracted the flu um, or unsure, um, should they cancel any of their screening appointments or their treatment visits if that's the case? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one is that it's really hard to distinguish uh, the flu and COVID. So we always recommend, uh, you know, getting tested. Uh, um, you know, if, if you are having respiratory symptoms and a fever, 
patients uh, should get tested for COVID uh, in their uh, in their community. Um, there are uh, tests that uh, for the flu, but a lot of times that uh, diagnosis can be unless you're hospitalized can really be just a diagnosis of, of exclusion, meaning you know flu-like symptoms and the absence of uh, a COVID infection uh, likely means that's what uh, what one's dealing with. Awesome, and then. Um, you know, as we're entering the winter and fall, the fall and winter months, what types of protections and considerations should patients take and, and keep in mind as we go forward into colder weather? Yeah, the, you know, we're uh, methods of transmission with the flu is, uh, is very similar and overlaps to many extents uh, with uh, with COVID. Um, so the same recommendations apply uh, that we're using now for COVID, meaning socially distance, uh, wearing a mask out in public, avoid uh, you know gathering in, in groups, and uh, wash your hands uh, frequently. Um, we think that uh, the flu may have a little bit uh, uh, more of a uh, um, impact um, from being spread via surfaces. Again, not a whole lot of, uh, of hard data there yet, but. Uh, there is certainly a sense that hand washing should be a big part of prevention of the flu uh, spread as well. Awesome. And then slightly off topic, but um, I know when we chatted about this back in um, the spring, we really focused on the impact that COVID would have on clinical trials. So I'm curious how you've seen clinical trials change to date and how you see them changing going forward. And if there's going to be any, you know, additional um, considerations going into this you know, quote unquote, second wave of COVID, if that's what happens. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I must admit, I'm losing track of the wave numbers, but uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the concern is as the, the numbers rise, um, you know, is this a, uh, you know, what's the impact of this? And so I think a few things maybe generally, and then dive into your question about uh, the clinical research. I mean, I think um, we've, you know, as a healthcare community, we have, I think, done a, a much uh, better job of putting things in place to prevent uh, you know, spread of COVID in uh, healthcare situations and doctor's offices and, and, and things along that line. Um, what we've also seen is that the patients, cancer patients, have in general done a good job of really uh, minimizing uh, their risks uh, and exposures. And so while We've, uh, you know, seen a general population, you know, varying, uh, you know, varying levels of, of conforming to uh, guidelines. I think what we do see in, uh, in, in cancer patients is that they do a good job of uh, really recognizing they're at higher risk and reducing some of those uh, behaviors. So while the numbers overall have gone up, I think it's been encouraging that a lot of the the worst case scenarios that we had talked about in the spring in terms of the performance of uh, uh, or the outcomes of cancer patients uh, with COVID uh, haven't uh, materialized to that, you know, to those, uh, you know, uh, worst case predictions that, uh, that we were seeing uh, coming out of Asia. So it's a, you know, the glass half full is that cancer patients are doing a good job of protecting themselves. The uh, healthcare system is, uh, is a much safer environment now uh, than it was. Um, and I think we've learned how to manage uh, COVID uh, 
including in cancer patients, uh, better. But this is still, uh, you know, still a major issue. And I think we're um, part of what we've done to try to reduce the risk to patients is to minimize some of the impact of this on, uh, uh, you know, on on clinical trials, for example, and optimizing how we're administering even standard of care chemotherapy. So we are seeing uh, clinical research uh, uh, pick back up um, as a result of all of these, uh, you know, encouraging uh, steps. So I think we're, um, the, in general, we're probably at about 75% of, uh, of clinical research uh, levels we were prior to the pandemic, so still not back to uh, back to where we were. Um, but uh, you know the numbers are increasing. We are seeing you know some uh, uh, accommodations uh, to reduce um, you know visits and reduce uh, touch points for the healthcare system for patients who are participating in clinical trials. So I think there's been a you know relook at you know whether all of those time points, all of those visits, uh, you know all those uh, additional samplings of blood, for example, uh, that would require coming into the office. Uh, all those are, have really been looked at with a, uh, a fine tooth comb to, to minimize uh, those where there's less value added to the to the research. So I'm encouraged that things are are improving there. Um, I, you know, there are um, still, uh, you know, still uh, things that I think we can do a better job of as a community, but overall, the the progress in clinical trial uh, infrastructure has been very positive over the past six months. And that's great to hear. I think there was so much unknown, you know, at the beginning that it was, I mean, obviously very concerning, but it's, it's great to see how, you know, things have, have stepped up. And I think that's actually leads me to my final question is where do you see the value of telehealth? And is it something that you um, think will become more so of a hybrid model going forward after COVID, you know, runs its course or, or do you see us going back to the old way of things? Yeah, I, um, I think that uh, patients and practitioners see a lot of value uh, for uh, telehealth, and I think there's, you know, a good uh, hybrid model of uh, telehealth uh, with inpatient uh, visits can indeed be very uh, value added. I'm I'm very hopeful that that a lot of this will be maintained uh, in the future. There's a lot of uncertainty as to um, the um, you know, the business, the regulatory side of this, um, you know, is this something that uh, will be decided by the individual state medical boards as to the extent of that, um, you know, the telehealth that will be allowed and in what situations. Um, and then we'll have to see kind of how the insurance uh, you know, companies adapt uh, to that as well, because that's the other component of this. Uh, and it, it's really going to be the the patients, the practitioners, the, uh, the healthcare um, uh, environment from the uh, regulators and the insurers that all have to really adapt uh, and, and embrace this. And it's been encouraging signs, but I think right now we're operating on a lot of kind of emergency rules that have loosened up some of the regulatory and, uh, and billing issues. And I think the question will be, what is the the longer term um, environment look like, and that remains to be seen. That's really helpful. And I, I think, you know, we're all very interested to see how it does uh, play out. Is there anything that I um, didn't address that you think patients, you know, it'd be important for patients to know, or that, you know, there's need to get out to the to community? Well, I think, you know, just 
reiterating that while there are reasons to be optimistic, you know, the the healthcare system is better adapted to handling and treating cancer patients uh, with COVID now than they were in the past. This still remains a, uh, a you know, an infection that has a uh, rather high morbidity and mortality rate for cancer patients. So that, um, so that uh, you know, cancer patients may be familiar, may have family members or uh, acquaintances that got very mild cases and recovered quickly. And the, and I think we have to encourage cancer patients to keep that their vigilance uh, up because, uh, you know, infections in cancer patients indeed can be more uh, more dangerous and can uh, it can lead to hospitalizations and and deaths at a much higher rate, unfortunately, than the average community. So we still, while we're making progress, we still need to be uh, you know very cautious and conservative uh, for our cancer patients. That's great, and these are these are really um, helpful insights, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat a little bit with me today. Thank you, Dr. Kopitz. And for everyone listening, be sure to visit fightcrc.org for additional resources. Thank you for joining our Tabuti podcast. Remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your doctor.